Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. All right, from the Talks and Tasting Studios, it is the Clerical Airs Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicker. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Pete? Hey, Pete. All right. So, uh, kind of interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you have some context there? Just... <laughs> Are we just going to say, you know, today is a special day? I think we need to start with our beverage. I think that we need to do that. That might open things up a yeah. little bit. <laughs> so, um, actually, Peter provided the beverage today. Ooh. Oh, you brought that with you. Lucky men today in the studio. Hey, Vicar, would you like to read that for our listeners? Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea. Blend of straight bourbon whiskeys, very small batch. Forty-five percent. Oh, I won't. yeah. And it's got a map of the world on it, and a boat. Nice. Well, I mean, it is getting to be summertime. You know, I want to be on a boat. Right. So it'll be interesting to see if this is uh, sea salty. Ocean so. aged. Yeah, I, I wonder what makes it ocean. What the ocean age thing does if it makes it. Uh, I don't know. Well, it comes from Kentucky. Wait, wait a minute. I may not be the best uh, at geography. Yes. It's ocean age at Kentucky? It's bottled in Kentucky. Oh, okay. I was going to have someone from Oklahoma explain this to me. Huh. Yeah, it's like the old hymn goes, right? You got some oceanfront property in Arizona. Right? No? Anybody? Bueller? <laughs> This is going to be an amazing show. <laughs> oh, all right. Ooh, it smells good. It's got that nice uh, vanilla taste or that nice vanilla smell to it. Hmm. Oh, it smells good, yeah. So, cheers to your health. Cheers. It's good. That's really good. What do you think, Berg? It needs... Needs another sip. Now, I know you're more of a scotch guy. I, I like this better than most bourbons. Uh, usually, the vanilla is just a little too overpowering mm-hmm. for me because of the way that the spirit interacts with the uh, white American oak, mm-hmm. you know, it's very abrasive. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is a lot uh, smoother in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. I mean, and to me, it seems a little more salty, which I like. It mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of... a. An island scotch, okay. So, which usually like a Talisker, which has a little more of a salt taste to it. Okay. Not like, I don't think it's as distinctive, but I think it's you know. So yeah, no, I it's awesome. This is probably the most expensive bourbon I've owned. I don't know what's more expensive, this or Jim Beam. I, I didn't buy it. So, hey, what do you think, uh, Vicar? Uh, I'm not a whiskey or bourbon guy, but. I I like it. I think uh, abrasive abrasive is usually the word I would attribute to uh, whiskey. Okay. And uh, this, like Berg said, it's smooth. Like it's not like. Well, well the thing is, uh, for for me, most bourbon, like to really get uh, like the understanding of bourbon, actually, it's not made for sipping bourbon. It's made for getting that real big rush of a kind of a shooting. Right. Yeah. Right. Where I think this is more of a sipping one. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. This is one you can really just sit back and enjoy on a nice summer's eve. It's very good. Yeah. So, so I, before I uh, I got here this uh, this evening, I, I was we we're having dinner, you know. Yeah. I just posited the question to the the rest of my family, not Peter, because he wasn't there. Is that? And I asked them. Um. Yeah. I'm thinking about weighing in on race relations. What do you think? <laughs> Tonight? <laughs> well. I'm, to, to be honest, I'm not sure what Berg wants to talk about tonight because we had some options. He said, nope, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Just what we need right now, three white clergy weighing in on the issue. <laughs> I mean, it is uh, Well, I did. It's a tragedy all the way around. I mean, 
you know, um, if the video is, if we're seeing the whole, the whole video, right. Mm-hmm. And this is why too, um, I think this shows that people have a misunderstanding of what our legal system is and the limits thereof. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, our legal system is set up in such a way that it would rather let a, an, uh, a guilty person go free than let an innocent person suffer, which means that it's messy and it takes time. Right. Right. Um, you actually have to gather evidence. You have to, um, you know, I mean, this is why we have all those fancy Latin phrases of like habeas corpus and, right. you know, there's no such thing as double jeopardy. And the thing is, is that for most people now, it's much easier to convict somebody in the court of public opinion. And right. the thing is, is when I see these videos, and I mean, if the guy's guilty, I pray that uh, the government punishes him accordingly. I mean, he should be punished even more severely than a regular person because uh, he has been um, given the public trust as a police right. officer. And that's something we understand as pastors. Right. You know, that pastors uh, are punished more severely um, when we commit sins because uh, we have to give an account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and... Uh, and he has been charged, from what I understand. Right. And which is a good thing. Um, and, you know, and we'll see what the legal system does. Now, the thing that I don't like is that uh, people are being lawless. Right. And that uh, they are not only disgracing this man's good name, um, but they are destroying the livelihoods of innocent people. Right. I mean, there were riots down in Des Moines, and that's 250 miles away from. Uh, from where this happened, with many innocent cops and uh, businesses and the like. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, and I think it's... And, beca- it, and that's obscuring people who might actually have maybe some legitimate grievances. It- right. And the thing is, is that this is the limit of our justice system. You know, people do fall through the cra- cracks because we can't see into somebody's heart. Right. You know, um, this is why it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because our justice system is set up in such a way that we would rather let a guilty person go free than punish an innocent person. Right. And that's the thing. Um, and if you are an atheist, if you live in a godless universe, then yeah, of course, you're going to want vigilantism. You're going to want rioting. You're going to want to take revenge. The quickest um, ends to whatever... I mean, this is part of the reason why I think uh, superheroes are so popular these days, because... They want vigilantes. They want people who are infallible, who are going to punish sin uh, beyond what the law does. And mm-hmm. um, and that's because uh, they don't know the true God, the true God who is the avenger, the true God who uh, who will repay, who says vengeance is mine. But by the way, uh, I, I was thought of you today, Berg. Uh-oh. My, my daughter was wearing a certain shirt that actually my son wore one time. Well, he was acolyting for school chapel. Do you remember what shirt I'm talking was about? Was this the Thor shirt? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, my you know. my poor my child brought an idol of a false god into chapel service. I am I can't believe that I let that happen. I let that one slip <laughs> through the cracks. Yeah. <sighs> so so um I I kind of have a couple of thoughts. You know you know my personality is is uh is I'm always trying to put myself in other people's place, mm-hmm. and and as I, I think about this whole situation, um, one is I think we're seeing well maybe church should be essential. Yep. <laughs> Second, um, maybe it's good to 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 reconsider the Ten Commandments a little bit to actually guide our thoughts. When it comes to protecting someone's name or property or life. Or obeying our authorities. Or obeying our authorities. Another thought I've, I've had with this whole thing is it seems like everyone has to have, there's only two sides you can have on the matter. Yeah, you're either in agreement with me or you're the enemy. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll get, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I kind of have an interesting perspective when I think back to my high school years. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I went to uh, through my high school years and through college up until I went to the seminary and started having field work and all that. I went to to Zion in Fort Wayne, uh, inner mm-hmm. city church, and uh, and so I was very active with the the youth group, high school into college, 
and uh, and most of the probably over half of the kids the the, the kids I was with and um, that I was part of the youth group were were black. And uh, a couple of things that actually kind of stuck out to me, okay, and and one is is uh, when I was like a freshman in college, I was recruited then to I was still helping out with the youth group, and so I was a driver. And and one thing I noticed it was kind of striking, is um, when I would drive, um, how um, the the black kids uh, there in my car they were legitimately afraid of the police. And and the way I would describe it is this. Do you know how, like, when you're in high school, like, if you're just driving and you're not breaking the speed limit or you're not doing anything wrong. And then you see a cop. Yeah. Your heart just Right, or he's following you. your stomach. And he's following you just because you happen to be going the same way, right? Hmm. You know that feeling? Mm-hmm. Now multiply that by 10. Mm-hmm. Um, that even if they were, you know, that's the case, even if you're not doing anything wrong, you're still afraid. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I don't know why it is, but they had a, and I'm, I'm not using this as a time to point fingers or anything, but I would say that their fear that they had at the time was real. It was a real fear that they had. And I never really delved into the, the situations. Why? And we're not going to, we're not going to put your age out there, but this, but that was during a kind of a controversial time, especially when you're talking about 92 with uh, the riots in Los Angeles. Yeah, that was the same time. Right. So. Yeah, I yeah. graduated from high school in 91. Yeah. So. It was right there. It was right a, at a, a heightened time. Right. Now, now I didn't have any fear of the police. Mm-hmm. I always thought they're here to help us. Right. But, uh, but that, that kind of stuck with me that. You know, as a as a father with with three sons, you know, if they were, I can understand if people are that afraid that they'd be afraid for their children. Let's say if you get pulled over, you know, you know, make sure your your hands are always visible and those type of things. Um, so in a sense, I can I I've seen that fear that and but the other sand it doesn't it doesn't negate all the other commandments as well. And it doesn't make what police officers do, you know, wrong. And I don't understand why people are yelling at police officers who had nothing to do with it. So, and I thought that the police officers in Des Moines acquitted themselves pretty well. You right. Know? Uh, they were able to uh, defuse some situations down there, um, you know, and that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciated. I watched a little bit of a conference from Indiana and they've had some disturbances both in Fort Wayne and in Indianapolis. Uh, but the, the, the chief of police uh, in Indianapolis spoke at the microphone, and he, he straight up apologized. But before he did that, he said, uh, we all have to understand that all the police officers and I myself are sinners. He said this on That's good. live television. And he went through and he said, don't like you mentioned, don't hold the guys that are the, the officers that are on the ground. It's guys like me that you need to hold responsible for what has happened, that we allow officers that have been, you know, uh, cited for 17 offenses or whatever it is with this particular officer mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, allowing these guys to appear to not have the full weight of justice put on them uh, when they misstep in their vocation uh and so uh if you want to check that out um look under the state of indiana and this will be uh june 1st their press conference if you want to hear in my opinion a solid uh both confession and asking for forgiveness from a man who's higher up within the police department so i commend that to you listener to check that out Right. And I think on on the other hand, too, I think what bothers people is the whole guilt of association. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm white. Does that mean I'm racist now? Hmm. <laughs> you know, that's that's the way well, it comes when the across. anger isn't uh, directed towards the governing authorities, you know, but it's directed towards other innocent their people. neighbors in their own 
neighborhood. And that's, yeah. you know. Yep. Right. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's why I say it's, we like to think of it as being one side or the other. And you can't, it seems like, I think what made my, my family nervous, I said, oh, I'm going to talk, I'm thinking about talking about this is, oh no, you're going to say something borderline offensive. You're going to say something that's going to rile people up just by saying anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is a charged thing, but this should cause us to think theologically. I mean, look at your own parents, you know, your own parents uh, are sinners and they don't always make right decisions either. Right. 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 But God still requires you to love, honor, and respect them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is the, this is the same thing that is true of of the governing authorities as well. Some other thoughts I had, since I'm just spouting thoughts here, I actually thought about uh, the pro life cause with all of this. Mm-hmm. Is because if you think about how people are upset about the taking of a life, which we should feel, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and then people say, well, why are you so concerned about what happens with a woman's body? Or, or they say, well, why do you pro-lifers, why do you care so much? Why do you march? When it really is the protection of the human life, the same issue. Right. So one thing, as, as people who, who think that life is, God creates life, life is at conception, right? Yep. That uh, that obviously it really hurts our cause and we do it in st- destructive ways. But if people don't understand the passion, if you believe that you are saving a human life, then other sides, maybe they can understand where we're coming from a little bit. Yep. And it's the same way with the old people too, right? Their lives are important. Right. And so... So if you go to the March for Life, I- I've done that a, a couple of times... If you go for, to the March of Life and you see 500,000 people marching, mm-hmm. you know, um, that doesn't get any news. No. Not much, no. But but I think maybe that will help under, people understand the passion a little bit that we have when it comes to life, mm-hmm. when it comes to abortion or, as you mentioned, euthanasia. Right. So the, I guess the last thought I have about all this is because people are dying to know what I think of it. But it's a podcast. That's part of the thing. Well, right? if you're listening, you are dying <laughs> yeah, to think yeah. what we think. So right. So tune in next week. We think. <laughs> I'll give you my last thought. No, maybe I'll put in a disclaimer <laughs> at the beginning. Hey, skip to 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. Skip this talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you're probably going to entitle this Bullhagen, you know, saves race relationships or something like. <laughs> <laughs> we solve the race crisis. <laughs> oh no. Um. But uh, I guess my, my point is is this. When we see this whole mess, I think kind of talking what Vicar said, it actually shows us what lives inside all of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And the one thing we haven't mentioned are all the people who cleaned up. Yeah. Right. Too, you know. I mean, it's easy to focus on the bad, but there there is a lot of good happening, too. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I think. And so this should always bring us back to prayer. Prayer that... Uh, you know, let's pray that God would uh, give justice, that um, that there would be uh, um, that the courts would uh, make right decisions, mm-hmm. and um, and peace throughout the land. I mean, because that is one of those fourth petition gifts, mm-hmm. and peace is very very important. Uh, we don't realize how important it is because in America, I mean, really, the last conflict where that actually happened on American soil for any protracted period of time was the civil war. Right. You know? Um, so. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so while, while everyone is pointing fingers at everyone else, the pastor in us says, okay, now let's <laughs> look at your own heart. Look at your, Right, God's laws Christ is the one who unites us. Right. I mean, we just had Pentecost, right? right. Where every nation under heaven was united um, without their diversity being taken away. Right. That's, I mean, that that is something we should remember. That it is false doctrine and false living that divides. The Holy Spirit brings us together. The Holy Spirit unites us without destroying our differences. Yeah. And uh, so... 
What you preaching on? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know. <laughs> John 3. Yeah, it's a weird text. You see, Trinity is such a Trinity Sunday is such a late addition. In fact, many of the uh, many of the bishops said it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't even a necessary holiday because we confess the Trinity every time we say the Gloria Patri, hmm. you know, glory yeah. be to the Father, and you know, and so actually the reading that we have, what it seems very incongruous, right? It doesn't seem to go with Trinity, right? Well, and the reason for that is because this is actually part of the octave of Pentecost, right? That's why John 3 is all about the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Because it's part of Pentecost. It flows, like this text just flows out of Pentecost. Hmm. And it reinforces why we, re- how you know, why and how we receive the Holy Spirit. Right. Through the water and the Word. Yeah. Now, of course, there are Trinitarian references in there. Like, we speak of what we know, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that Jesus is not earthly, but he's heavenly. So... And and the fact that uh, um, yeah I don't know how many people realize who who hold the the three John three sixteen that it's part of a discussion about baptism, <laughs> right? There's there's a whole section that comes before that. So right, and this is why proof texting works for the proverbs. The rest of the Bible it gets a little sticky. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'm. I don't know what I'm preaching yet, so. <laughs> Romans 11. It's Monday as we record this. Yeah, so. Get a whole week. Well, kind of, because I'm actually preaching it on Wednesday, so I got to. Well, you could I'm always do Isaiah 6. <laughs> I'm trying to help. Just nod and continue. I, I, oh, Peter, you want me to nod? I thought you were a producer. Okay, I'm nodding. What do you think of that, listener? Can you hear that? He was lying, listener. He wasn't actually <laughs> nodding. <laughs> Well, you know, you could always do Isaiah 6, the Sanctus, yeah, with the Seraphim, because I think that's the one of the Old Testament lessons. So, yes. Yeah. There's we should do an episode sometime where we just workshop your sermons for the week. Like we do a Monday recording and then the entire episode is you guys just talking about the text and workshopping your sermons between Well, we each other. we thought about having like a sermon off. Yeah. Iron Preacher, I think was one of the names thrown right. around on it, so Oh, another idea that we've 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 talked about a little bit, but we haven't come come through with this. And I, maybe we can get a listener response. What do you? You think? know, th- this is like this episode should probably be just entitled "Bullhagen's like junk drawer," <laughs> because these are like all the ideas we have. But right. you know, tell me what you think, Berg. Man, why I don't I hear about any of these? Have you heard this idea, Berg? I want to do one special episode. Okay, I want you to think about this. I want to become the first Lutheran podcast to do. A podcast episode in Dolby Digital Surround Sound. Yeah, I don't even understand what that means, dude. So you do, and we would do an episode. Uh huh. And like it would sound like we're talking behind or walking a room. You know, like in the movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. we do an episode in surround sound. So it's what, like is that you're like that? actually there and you hear it all around you. Now, would that be like the uh, where you hear the sounds like at the beginning of the movie where it's like the right? Yeah, okay. Except it'd be theology, right? Okay, I like it. <laughs> I mean, what? Because I'm always thinking, what can we do that no other podcast is doing? Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's talking about, you know, the Minneapolis thing. COVID, right? Yeah, but how many of them do it in surround sound? So, you know. Uh, We'll add it to the or list. Surround sound, or we can do a binaural one, right? Is that where you, you use know. two speakers, but it sounds surround? Yeah, it's where you do headphones, where the actual microphone is just a, a mannequin head that has that would be uh, microphones has microphones oh, in its no. ears. Okay, all and right. And when you listen to the podcast, it's like your your head is where the mannequin's head is, and you can tell because of the curves of uh, the ear. I'm with you. And the I'm with acoustics you. of the head, it figures out exactly what it would sound like if you were there. So it's not necessarily Adobe Digital. It wouldn't work on speakers. But if you're wearing headphones, it's, do, it's, in, it's insane. Do you know what made me think of this a little bit? Is is uh, Remember the sound effects episode that... Peter did, I, yeah. Yeah, that I listen to whenever I'm sad? Yes. Right? 
Imagine that in surround sound. <laughs> nice. So anyway, listener, if you have an idea about like what we should do next, whether it be surround sound or uh, did you ever tell me you know, your thoughts on the surround sound episode? What? What are your thoughts on the surround? Do you think that's a good idea? I I think it's worth a shot. I mean, I'm you know, I who but, you know, I'm not. I I guess you know, novelty is like I I sometimes get into a you know a novel, yeah, you know, point of view, but so. Yeah, because I'm not. I don't just think outside the box. I step on that box. I'm just gonna say that. All right, so calf raises. All right, so we should probably keep going here. So let's. Uh, can we do top twelve or something? Yes. So I've mentioned earlier that we could use a little talk about the Ten Commandments. Nice. So uh, I would like to do uh, what it is, what it ain't, what it could be on the Eighth Commandment. Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. So, Vicar, uh, our listeners may not know when I'm talking about the Eighth Commandment, what exactly I'm talking about. So, what am I talking about here? You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. All right. Seems simple enough, right? Yep. Because, uh... Do you think we we have issues with that? Uh, yes. Right. Yes. Like if, if, right. Yeah. Like the sixth commandment is usually written in all caps. Right. And the eighth commandment is lower down on people's lists. Yeah. I mean, you know, a person's reputation is very important. And I mean, like, hmm. we forget how important it is because, honestly, it's a breaking of the eighth commandment really seals the fate of Jesus. Right. Because they lie about him. They lie about him in the Sanhedrin, and they try to get two witnesses to say the same thing, and they can't They can't do it. Right. And and not only that is, what does it do? It, it actually keeps honest dialogue from happening. Right. You know? You try to convince your point just by sullying the name of others. It doesn't do any good. Or even if you think it's the truth, but it's not the truth. Right. You know? Hmm. So, what it is. What it is. It is speaking truthfully and charitably about others. Yep. Those two things are very important. Right. Why, Vicar? Uh... Like, I can think of a lot of things that are true, Vicar, that I probably shouldn't say. Yeah. For example, I could say something about uh, 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 4.0. <laughs> it might be true. Or I could say something about 9.0. It might be true. Or they could say something about their vicarage supervisor. That true. might be true. Does it mean that I should say, say it? Say it, right? Right. See, because I think everybody gets the whole truth thing, right? Because... God is truth. The devil lies. Right. 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 You know, so people get the truth thing. They don't get the whole charitable thing a right. lot of time. You know? Like, how many times have we, have you, Berg? Okay, I'm putting you on the stand. All right. Mm. Okay. All right. How many times? You didn't actually put him on the stand. No, no. Um, how many times have you been to someone's house and they asked if you like their casserole or their cookie and um actually that's a terrible example because nobody feeds me really nobody what yeah nobody hmm so probably because that one time you were truthful (laughs) (laughs) no um you know there there are a few there are a few parishioners that that have given me food which is this which has been really awesome um, yeah, I mean, there are, you know, and I, I, ever since I've been married though, that's where it's kind of changed because people have been really nice to give food, but sometimes it's stuff that my wife can't eat, mm-hmm. you know? And so you accept it, but you just don't say anything about it. Yeah. So. And so, so truthful is, it's always good to be truthful, right? And if yes. you're looking for like a biblical example, the best one I think is Noah. Because what does Noah do after the flood, after the world ends? 
he drinks. He, That's yeah. right. And he over imbibes. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, he's laying out in his birthday suit. Uncovers himself. Right. right. And uh, he's aging by the sea. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and a 600 year old man. It's, I mean, that's tough. But what does Ham do? He sees it and then he walks. He goes and he tells his two brothers about it. Right. Right. He breaks the eighth commandment. Right. And in breaking the eighth commandment, he breaks the fourth commandment. Right. Right. So, whereas his two other sons, Shem and Jepheth, they walk backwards. Yep. They cover their father's nakedness. Right. As Christians, that's what we should seek to do. If there's something true and somebody has sinned or made a mistake or, you know, has looked foolish, um, we should do our best to try to cover that, right? Right. Uh, What it is, seeking to improve and protect the reputation of others. Mm -hmm. Is Is that something you see a lot of? No. I don't see a lot of that. I, uh, not to be too political, but I see it in our vice president. Okay. okay. He seeks to protect and improve the president's uh, reputation. Mm-hmm. He gives credit. <laughs> he always gives credit to the president. So I don't know. Yeah. I always notice that. <laughs> right. And, you know, we shouldn't just do this for our friends, but we should also do this for our right. enemies yeah. too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's just it, and that that's, I guess, uh, you know, to sound like an old crotchety person, which I am. That, How old are you again? Twenty five. <laughs> yeah, almost twice. <laughs> um, that uh, that is that's the one thing where uh, you don't see in social media a lot of times. No, and it's it's about doing the opposite, and. Uh, and it's about uh, trying to catch people in their words, regardless of you said something wrong, you said something improper. So we're gonna we're gonna take that to assume everything that's in your heart, taking the speck out of your brother's eye. Right. Yeah. Right. So what it is, drawing attention to the good qualities of others. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, draw attention to those things. And then the last thing, this is kind of a, just an easy work through the commandment, but it's a good reminder, is explaining everything in the kindest way. I like the old phrasing of putting the best construction on it. Right. Yeah. Right. You do like that kind of thing, right? The, uh, you also well, like the inwardly digesting. Yeah, I do. I seriously do. Did, did every, that, every when time, you saw that take it to heart thing, did that break your heart? Well, did, it broke the place where the heart should be. Okay. So I just inwardly digested the old language and put it there. So, so what's what is then the difference between the two? Putting the best construction on things and putting I, I, um, something in the kindest way. I think it's just um put the, it back. The, I la- guess. the language is more visceral. Like mm-hmm. you can just imagine somebody, you know, using what they know to build something good out of it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I suppose I guess I, the difference I see is putting the best best construction on things actually has to do with your own heart. Rather than explaining something in the kindness when you're talking to others, you're also in your own hearts trying to process the information you have to actually think of someone else in a better light. You're not allowing yourself to go to the gloom and doom. Yeah, it actually takes work on your part. Right. And I mean, that's the part of the commandment, right? That, I mean, the commandments are where we actually do work. You know? Right. And construction takes like, work, I, you know, and this is why the new catechism, in a lot of ways, it's just kind of vacuous, right? Satanic arts, it's like, let's just say witchcraft. Yeah. You know, people know what witchcraft is. Right. You know, so. Yeah. I, uh, or sexually pure and decent life. It's like, yeah, let's just find a, how can you get any more vacuous than that? I mean, like, let's put some meat on these bones. <coughs> so. Like, don't, yeah. All like, right. Be chaste. There you go. And then, oh, I don't know what that means. Well, then let's explain it. All right. The end. So, what it is not. What are we talking about, Vicar? The Eighth Commandment, which is? (coughs) Excuse me. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. So, what it's not. The name of the show is called What It Is, What It Ain't, and What It Could Be. Just That's the format of the show. The show? Okay. The the, The bit. You know... A bit. All right. 
the segment. It's it's called it's what it ain't. Firing all cylinders today. Usually, usually you use the same name as the show. So what are you drinking, Pete? Doing the show. Um, I got a nice refreshing water and uh, and I'm still here. All right, recording a podcast. So, what it's not. It is what it ain't. What it ain't. It's it's what it ain't. What it ain't. I got this, man. Don't be hating. All right. What it ain't. Saying whatever you want, even if it's true, or at least you believe it to be true. How many times is that used as a justification? But it's true. Mm-hmm. And we kind of talked about that already. But just because it's true does not, or even you believe it to be true, it is not. In fact, the Bible speaks clearly that if you're the only witness, in a sense, it isn't true. Right. <laughs> I know? mean, that whole two or three witnesses thing, that's a huge deal. Right. Right. Because um, because one person can easily be deceived or wrong. That's, that's why that's why what well, that's why one thing that fails about the whole your own personal Jesus thing is it's it it kind of waters down the truth into what you personally believe and that's easily misled so so even if you believe it to be true um doesn't mean you should say anything about it no because it could just as easily be false right and then you lied what it ain't. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I struggled this part, Pete. I'm not going to be lie. So what it ain't, not speaking in love. That's what I have written down. <laughs> Berg, anything about double negatives? Um, Actually, uh, Chaucer's Canterbury Ta- Tales has a triple negative. Okay. It's a, And it's not the way we use it in modern English. It actually intensifies the negative, kind of like in Greek. So Sure. So we'll just use it as a uh, emphatic negative. How about that? Right. So my, my point, what I was trying to make with it, with this is, is you should always be speaking in terms of love. That doesn't mean you tell everyone what they want to hear. Right. But kind of like if they're Thelma and Louising over a cliff, you probably want to tell them to pump the brakes, right? Right. Or like your Can you kid. Can you out here, Berg, as a younger person, Thelma and Louising? Yes, what, what is the th- hey, Vicar, what is Thelma and Louising? Use the Vicar app here. I have no idea. Oh, boy. Berg, would you please enlighten this young man? With man, it's, uh, there's a movie called Thelma and Louise, and the movie ends with them driving their Cadillac over a cliff. Oh. So. Somebody I know. Like on purpose? Owns a yeah, Cadillac. yeah, they're, they're running from the cops, and, you know, and so they, they hold hands as they, you know, drive over the cliff. Wow. So. YOLO. So, so anyway, so well, that is called Thelma and Louising. So, to all our listeners, please, public service amount. The more you know, do not Thelma and Louise. Indeed, no Thelma and Louising. Or, or like you know, with your kids, right? If one of your kids runs out into the street, right? Right. You know, sometimes in love, you yell at them, right? Right. Or you tell them something that is it breaks your heart to tell them, but it needs to be said. Right. You know, I. There's a difference between telling the truth in anger and telling the truth in love. And then lying, and you think you're loving, but you're really... You see, you never really love if you lie to them. You're not loving them. And right. I, you know, that's one of the greatest lies that's been told, right? Love delights in the truth. Everybody has that First Corinthians 13 thing at every wedding, blah, blah, blah. When actually it's talking about Christian love. But love delights in the truth. <laughs> Okay. I remember one, one wedding sermon I have where instead of like love and patience is, you know, patient and kind, they replace the word love with like someone who is in the wedding, like Steve. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you preach this? Or no, you... I heard it. Not okay. me. Okay. <laughs> the service of Steve. <laughs> I just want to remember that your husband, Steve, is patient. And <laughs> just, I don't... All right. Oh, Speaking so... of truth and love, right? Yes. Um, well, that's the thing. That's why you tell them the truth, because you love you love them and you want them to do better. <laughs> right. If you have any other reason, and this is true especially of arguments. Right. You know, if all you want to do is win, that is not love. 
Right. You can be right, but you can be right for the wrong reasons, too. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. I'm pontificating again. So, another thing about the Eighth Commandment, of what it ain't, it is, is it ain't speaking about situations that you have no authority. This is one that Luther really hammers home in the large catechism, where, you know, if you are someone who is placing authority of that person, then you have the right to talk. If you don't, and you're just talking to talk, you shouldn't be saying anything. Mm-hmm. Can you give a couple of concrete examples for our listeners of, like, where they should talk, maybe, and where they shouldn't? Okay. So um, are you, for example, their judge, like in the court of law? Should you making be making the judgment if you're not the one in charge of doing the judging? No. Or, um, oh, I, w- I wish I don't have the catechism in front of me, but Luther gives some examples too. Like if you see your neighbor doing something hey, wrong. Hey, Vicar, look up, the cate- look up the large catechism on the Eighth Commandment. You so, got it. All right. So we'll get back to that later. We'll, we'll come up with some examples of that. All right. Um. So another thing that's part of this is, um, is if you are going to speak the truth in love, right? Yep. That means also that you should actually hear the truth in love as well. If, if, for example, let's say, let's say, um, um, you wanted to be truthful, be treated with truth, and honor and integrity, Berg, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about something that you may not want to hear, but you realize as a listener of this information that it's actually helping you. This is another lost art, mm-hmm. is when you do instruct someone or when you are instructed by someone that you know loves you to actually listen to it mm-hmm. and take it to heart. That's not something we do very well, is it? No, and this is where Proverbs is really important, right? Like, the righteous man actually rejoices when someone rebukes mm-hmm. him, right? That's that's actually what I like about being a vicarage supervisor because a lot of times when I criticize the vicar, or, like, not criticize, but, you know. Well, it's it's a criticism. They, they, they actually appreciate it. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I don't say enough about their sermon, they're actually disappointed. Or they you get know? a little scared. <sighs> it's true. <laughs> so... What it could be. Looking at the, the, the Eighth Commandment, what it could be is it could create a place where opinions and, and dialogue help rather than harm. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, very apropos. Right. Another thing of what it could be is a way of helping protect the Word of God and the work of the church. Yes. Meaning... I don't think people always realize when they talk about their own church in a not very charitable way that that does damage the church. It keeps people from wanting to be a part of that church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing that it, this could be is it could lead us to a healthy way of speaking in the public square. If we want to be listened to as a church— the best thing to do it is to do it in a charitable way in a, in a place that comes from love. Doesn't mean that people want to hear it, but also then screaming at each other and being angry at, at the world really doesn't help. So, so what it could be then too is to help you to hear others and for others to hear you. And I think that's it's very important if you're going to have open and honest dialogue. And, and that's why I, what I like about this podcast is I've noticed that for some people, it's hard to talk theology without getting angry. Yep. You know, um, or to call people names or, you know, whatever the case may be, that it's actually a good thing to just to talk about them without being upset about it. Uh, and having this kind of a place where people can actually are not defensive, but they hear because you're not defaming their name. Right. You know. And it creates a comfortable place for people to actual talk and grow. And I think by breaking the Eighth Commandment, you're not doing that. You're, you're uh, 
talking you're going to wind up talking past or you're going to creating anger distrust all those things mm-hmm. and it all goes with your name if you are hurting seeking to hurt someone's name and reputation by doing that you're hurting your own name and number two you're not promoting a place where you can actually talk about God's word in a way that helps people mm-hmm which is ultimately what we try to do as pastors. So, yep. so Vicar, did you find anything? Well, just this quote maybe to close. Um, what Luther writes in the Large Catechism, when you become aware of a sin, do nothing but turn your ears into a tomb and bury it until you are appointed a judge and are authorized to administer punishment by virtue of your office. Those who are not content just to know but rush ahead and judge are called backbiters learning a bit of gossip about someone else they spread it into every corner relishing and delighting in the chance to stir up someone else's dirt like pigs that roll in manure and root around in it with their snouts see this is what i love about luther the dude is like he paints a picture right and uh we inwardly digest that indeed so all right, um, that brings us to our fairly new segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, oh, there's the music. Yeah. Isn't that peaceful, Vicar? Mm. Oh, that's so relaxing. It is. And uh, so when you, you hear this, this music right here, that means it's time for Pastor Peace Theater with Pastor Berg. And for today's installment, we are... Uh, listening to part three of a document entitled Garlic by a pastor uh, in the 20th century that I don't remember his name. Take Paul it away. Hensel. Paul Hensel. Take it away, Berg. All right. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven, one phase of it, is like unto a spray of lilacs, which a woman places into a vase and sets on the table till the entire room is heavy with the pleasing scent to greet and befriend everyone who enters. The kingdom of heaven, another phase, is like unto a garlic bulb placed on the table, the strong scent of which is chastely sealed and secreted under its satin swathings, that none who enter be offended. Approach closely, sniff and inhale, you can no more divine the soul of the bulb than you could discern the yolk of an egg by sniffing the shell thereof. It's insulated. The Spirit of God dwelleth in the tabernacle of his church and abideth there forever. The spirit of truth the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We speak of the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath the intuition of man anticipated or faintly smelt what God hath prepared for them that love him. No man knoweth the things of the church, save the spirit of the new man, by grace a member of the spiritual body of Christ. When the heavenly bridegroom kisses the bride, the one his heavenly father hath chosen for and given him, when he opens up the scriptures to her, that her eye doth brighten and her heart doth burn, when he bids her eat of the hidden manna of his love, Revelation 2.17, he does so under the shadow of the Almighty and whispers his heavenly words of endearment in the secret of his tabernacle. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice. Song of Solomon 2.14 Such language is too precious to be overheard by the uncircumcised ears of strangers. Our faith is a very personal and private matter. Blatant church publicity now in vogue is vulgar. It is not of the Father, but of the world, and growing more bold and brazen day by day. It is not the reserved speech of the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, but is akin to and approximates the mannerism of the whore, arrayed in purple and scarlet color with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Revelation 12 and 17. The church as the garlic bulb is a sealed sanctuary, a garden enclosed, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Song of Solomon 412. Who of our gospel promoters, efficiency experts, attendance boosters, production line indoctrinators, magic mission manipulators, the gardeners of Jonah's gourd church to be a shadow over their head, which comes up in a night and perishes in a night, who of them all has an inkling of what the Lord Jesus might mean when he compares his church with a garden enclosed, 
a spring shut up. Who of these go-getters instill their per- prospective converts with the fear? Acts 5.13. Lest they join frivolously and commit a sacrilege. Who of them warns their prospects, as did Jesus, to sit down first and count the cost, whether he have sufficient to build the contemplated tower? Matthew 14.28. Who of them is restrained by the fear, lest he might, after landing a proselyte, make him twofold, twofold more a child of hell than he was before? The city pastor who has rounded up and added 2,000 new members to his fold within five years has probably exhausted himself lugging that many stones from one field to another. But has he inserted one spiritual, one living, growing stone into the walls of the everlasting temple? At no time is a pastor more in need of examining himself, his motives, his aims, and probe with the scalpel of suspicion into the character of his stewardship as when he is generally known and admiringly acclaimed to be a successful worker. You're a preacher, and faith cometh by hearing the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yea, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that believe not, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Such people may be dragged or enticed into the church, but it is, as Luther says, like lifting a drunken peasant into the saddle from one side of the horse, and he will tumble down on the other. And you will find such church to be like unto a nervous, noisy community center, frequented by a motley crew, program and project hungry, but bored with scripture study. Whereas the church is meant to be a dignified family gathering of the children of light, with all eyes focused on the head, even Jesus, and all ears inclined to his words, as it was in the upper room, the night of his betrayal, a shrine for the sin-scarred, a refuge for the frightened. All right. How many more sections do we have of this? Ah, quite a few. All right. (laughs) So I think this needs a little historical background behind this. Do you have any – is there anything that really kind of – for uh, Paul Hensel that uh, led him to say these words? Is there any particular situations at the time of the church? Well, you got to think this is the 1950s, right? And um, So is this like the Billy Graham stuff? So you're going to see a lot of Billy Graham, a lot of the Kennedy method stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That might come a little later, but uh, you see this just explosion of church programs, right? And actually the, the whole, you know, Billy Graham didn't actually start it. I mean, it actually goes back to like Billy Sunday in the 20s, mm-hmm. you know, um, and not and then it goes back even further into the 19th century with uh, a lot of the revivalistic movements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we use these sort of, when we become so concerned with winning souls that we are willing to water down and make silly the things of God, that is what he is blasting here. Mm-hmm. Um, if we truly are the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom, uh, then there is something intimate with that relationship that is not shared with the world. But oftentimes we're willing to make the church look silly, uh, and it it's really just another form of whoredom. You know, it's like I, with all this coronavirus stuff, where you see pastors wearing masks and then having like water uh, water pistols, and they're they're pretending to shoot them at kids so they can baptize them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's silly. It's right. vulgar. Um, this is not the way we act. Um, this is uh, to love Jesus, to have this relationship. I mean, you, you. There are certain places that you have affection for your spouse, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that is what he is saying here: is that the relationship we have with Jesus it is private. It is something that needs to be protected. And it needs to be kept away from the eyes of the world. And when we start making those things silly, uh, we are no longer that dignified and chaste woman. Mm-hmm. But we are, we are more like the whore of Babylon. And um, and so that's the thing: we don't have to apologize for things like the Lord's Supper, right? You know, I think that's what that's or, what that... or make uh, or make the church palatable to those who despise her. Right, because they really don't care. I mean, it, I think we've seen that in the sense of uh, we get, we've been getting tired of of people who don't go to church calling church non-essential. Right. You know, and we spend so much time and effort 
um, you know, and, you know, I think, you know, we, we should seek the lost. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we, we should. Well, well that, that's the thing. I but, mean, but we spend an inordinate amount of time seeking, you know, trying to entice people to come to church when we actually forget about those who are, you know. Right. And, and I, I think in our own church body, as far as I can remember, there was always this pull in two directions, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and my feeling has always been, at least as my time as a pastor, is in a way both sides keep us honest. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. That yeah, and I I think it always has to do with the attitude because I mean our our synod was founded by men who were huge evangelists. I mean they sacrificed everything to come from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, they rode thousands of miles. I mean, that's the thing. And then there, the, the, there's been always been this kind of this false dichotomy that it has to be one or the other. Right. And these guys were actually more Lutheran than most pastors out there today. Right. And I think, too, the real litmus test for this is whenever you go into a meeting, okay, I think any sort of meeting, whether it be voters meeting or a council meeting or whatever, um, when there's not very much talk about doctrine, but everyone's really interested in the budget or in the programs or that sort of thing, I think that's when you have to start worrying. It's like he says here, um, they are program and project hungry, but bored with scripture study. Mm-hmm. That That is, you know, and I, I think we see that a lot. Right. Um, if you... If you're not excited about the word of God, right. um, then maybe then maybe there's some projects are meant to be scaffolding. Right. I, I think part of the, the issue with this is is um the fact that we live everything in in our country is based on competitiveness. Yeah, or the uh um oh what is it? Uh, uh there was this great line. Well, you know, the uh, the method of the monstrous, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we need big numbers. We need thousands of people in church. We need all this money for this, and we need all this money for that. Right. We have to be doing all this stuff, and it's like, no. Or if you're, you're in a small town with 10 churches, we've got to differentiate ourselves from the other churches. we got to see why we stand out. Or if you're in the cities where it's times 12, where there's not only, um, you know, 100 churches in the area, there's there's— you know, ten churches within a twenty-mile radius of of your own church body, even. And I think you know part of the thing with Hensel is like, look, you know, if we're just doing these things, these programs, like if all you're doing, you know, for your Sunday school program is so that you way you attract new families, and that's it. If that's your main goal, that's a wrong goal. Mm. That is not love of the husband. Right, mm-hmm. we do these things because we love Jesus, right? Because we want to sit at His feet. We want our children to sit at His feet, right? Right. Everything we do that should be the deepest reason, right? And if and if other people come, awesome. That's what we want. That too. But even if they don't come, that mm-hmm. doesn't change why we do what we do. It's it's kind of like this. If how many people are excited if a pastor uh, visits? And this happened to me before, where I was visiting a member. Uh, at a nursing home, and the person in the same room mentioned, well, I think I used to, my kids used to go to Sunday school at Trinity, and um, I got a chance to actually catechize her in the nursing home and bring her into membership. Right. Had her funeral. Uh, Was there to comfort her in her dying moments. It's it's not she was, didn't fall into the category of the, the young family that everybody... That everybody wants. Everybody wants. And the thing is, is you didn't poach her either. You didn't go to your members' room so that way you could pick— you didn't go to the nursing home so that way you can pick up some new <laughs> right. members, right? Right. But thanks be to God, it happened anyway. Right. And that's the thing. I think, you know, if we just start doing things, it's disingenuous, you know? If we're simply doing things to fill the pews, that's disingenuous. It'd be like doing something nice for your husband so you can— get the car on the weekend and uh, and go and hang out with a party crowd without and him. It's obvious to the outsider, too. 
when it, you're it is yeah, right when you're doing that you know that's the thing it's um especially someone vicar's age as a speaking as our token young person yeah right um <laughs> i mean don't mean to get to bring up the age issue but um well and i, I but, just but my, my point is is people your age and peter's age as well right pete you still with us yep yep um is uh you are more in tune that that's why the younger people are always looking for something genuine and they don't want to be sold right we avoid the salespeople in the stores and all that right you know we'd rather shop online things like right that, so. you get tired of of people calling on the phone or getting a hold of texting you message you can do that you know you can save this much money and everything is being sold to you that right. you can see a sales job right from a church right. because because that that what that shows is there's a difference between uh we're selling you on this church rather than hearing from someone you you know who cares about you hey i see you're going through something right because they care about not because they want to pad the stats but because they actually care about you right you know you remember that book uh the secret garden right Mm -hmm. i mean that's what the church is right and that's what we want to do we want to bring people you know into this beautiful place because we love it that's Mm -hmm. what we want we want people to enjoy the same things we enjoy right we want them to be part of the family because we like being part of the family Right, because we love the husband, because we love, uh, we love the brothers and sisters, and and, it, and it, this can be take all sorts of different forms, you know, there there are some who kind of, have kind of treated things this way. We want everyone to, to love German stuff as much as we love German stuff. <laughs> right, and that gets pushed a lot. You know? it does, and. You know that that is part of the personality of some congregations, right? Well, by but, by German stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the, the 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 kind of their own local traditions that's actually right. apart from the Word of God, right? And you know, which makes them diverse, which is cool, right? Right. But it's not the main thing, and that's the thing. In your family, you've got lots of, and I mean, he's talked about it before, right? Um, the garlic cloves, right? Each garlic clove is individual, and it's ra- wrapped tightly in the tissue, right? Mm-hmm. But it's fed by the one common root. I mean, you look at your kids; they're all different. Mm-hmm. You know, they all have different interests. They all do different. But you're one family, mm-hmm. and it's the same way in the church, right? Yeah, and it's okay to be different. Yeah, yeah. Vicar, do you have anything to add? You're thinking? No, it's all. This is all good. I mean, these are. Um, one thing that stuck out to me is, and this will be something that I I think I'll struggle with probably going in, being a pastor is, uh, not succumbing to the people pleasing decisions, that sort of thing. And I struggle, sometimes I struggle with when someone says, oh, Vicar, that was a nice sermon you had, or that was a very good sermon. I sometimes wonder, and I should ask them really, well, why, why do you think it was good? Mm -hmm. Because then I can kind of. Um. Well, I can know. I can just know. Right. Be careful what you ask for. Right. And well, but because <laughs> I've had it yeah. a couple of times where people, well, the vicar did ask that, and then they say it, and you just see like, the vicar, like <laughs> yeah. his face just drops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can I can hold my my facials okay, but, <laughs> but later. But yeah. But I I mean that's that's really something I loved that section today, because that is a temptation of mine that I'll have to deal with. And that I'll have to be wrestling with for the rest of my ministry, I think. But but part of it, part of it is too. You, you're a, a people pleaser in this sense, though. As a pastor, you don't want to to needlessly offend someone when you don't need to either. Right. Right. That's eighth commandment. Or yeah. Yeah. What we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, I I just think there's a lot of you know, and that's this is the problem. Like marketing can be a good thing, right? But we don't actually. The reason why you're doing it, you know, because... The goal of marketing is, by nature, selfish. It is. The I'm goal not... of of evangelism, true evangelism, is care. Yeah, it's selfless love. because you want them to have what you have, you know? So, all right. All right. Well, I think uh, we've got all our 
uh, problem solved. <laughs> so, um, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicker. And may your constructions be the best. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.